Um, so the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at some end time stuff. Uh, if I can give you a kind of a brief overview. Uh, today, what we'll look at is our Christian perspective and how we should be looking at end times. Uh, next week, we'll start looking at what the judgment means um, and kind of how that applies to us. So what's that going to look like? And then the week after, we're going to do revelations in about 30 minutes. And so we're going to compress that and I'll just grab some highlights of it. Because um, honestly, I think what happens is that so many Christians will get excited at the prospect of end times and then that's all they'll focus on is end times to the point where all they can see is end times and then they start making crazy predictions about the end times and you know, from the moment Jesus said he was returning, people have been making predictions. Every single one of them have been wrong. That's like uh, if anybody out there has a prediction of when the end is coming, when Jesus is returning, by all means, this is the one time I would like to make a bet with you. <laughs> and we will collect the day after you say it's going to happen, which means uh, when you're wrong, you pay me. And if you're right, well, we're not here, so... <laughs> And of course, you know, people would say, oh, but pastor, that's gambling. Isn't that wrong? Well, I mean, it's kind of a sure thing for me. There's no gamble there. Uh, but it's not just that I'm not going to lose anything. You're wrong. Like, if you, if you can say that there's a specific date, you're wrong. Every single one of them are wrong. They have been wrong, wrong, wrong. I mean, when you, you've... Let me just... Can you figure out what... Nostradamus, Homer Simpson, and say, Pat Robertson have in common. They've all predicted the end and got it wrong. <laughs> it's like, it just, it doesn't work. I mean, Simpsons have lots of predictions that they wind up getting right. I mean, it was, what, like 15 years ago that they do a little episode where Lisa Simpson is the president of the United States. And she's talking about how President Trump left her with a uh, budget. And it was like, so she predicted Trump or being president before anything ever happened. And then, of course, it was like three years ago that COVID-19 and the 2020 lockdown was predicted on The Simpsons. And how they get that right, people are like, I don't understand. How do they get so many of these predictions right? I mean, I could just start reading stuff from in here and I can show you a ton of predictions and you'd think that, I'm a prophet. Well, all I'm doing is showing you what the Scripture says. You see, we, we have all these prophecies that are already in Scripture. And the crazy thing about, like, Jesus coming the first time, that was something that was, like, it just mind-boggling for people. What, what, Jesus is, the, the Savior is coming, the Messiah is coming, God in flesh is going to come. This just doesn't make any sense. And yet we love to talk about those prophecies and those scriptures. But yet, did you realize that when we're talking about the second coming of Jesus, there's five times as many prophecies about his second coming than there is the first coming. And as many Christians that we have that will take this and get excited and run off into air because they start quoting and predicting certain dates and times, we have an equal amount that just don't care. And then they never look at it. And they never think about it. 
And you talk about the second coming and they're like, ah, yeah, whatever. Like it's some far-fetched thing that they're never going to experience. But yet the end of the world is coming. Jesus's return is coming. We know that for certainty because the scripture has never been wrong, is always true, and it tells us that it's going to happen. What I want to do this morning is I want you to turn to your Bibles, and we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians. And this is a, a little passage, a letter that, that Paul was writing to the church. And there's something that he puts in here that Christians have argued, and they have debated over, and they have gotten into fights and, and squabbles over. And yet, there is such power and such truth inside this passage that we need to be able to see and we need to be able to understand. And so we're going to look at that in 1 Thessalonians. And imagine if you are, here you are in this church. They've been told that Jesus is returning. They've heard that Jesus is coming back. They've been telling one another that Jesus is coming back. It's so real to them that they think that, you know, he might be here on Tuesday. I mean, they're like looking for it to absolutely happen. And while this becomes such a reality, the Apostle Paul has something to tell them. And we're going to start in verse 13, read down through the end of the chapter. He says, But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus." For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words." See, this, this passage that the Apostle Paul is saying, it's really to instill hope. He's talking about how we don't want to be like the others who have no hope. These words, you need to be saying over and over again to each other. You need to be comforting one another with these words. These words will bring you hope. When we think of the end times, especially in this culture, it's like there's a panic that sets in. You start talking about the end and people start talking about the apocalypse and maybe there's going to be zombies or maybe people are going to start robbing them. And you know what we need to do? We need to buy up all the guns and all the ammo and all the food so we can shoot people in Jesus' name. We're going to protect ourselves. That's what we're going to do. And yet it comes with this, this fear mentality. It's like this isn't supposed to be a fearful situation for us. It's supposed to be a hopeful situation. He's telling us, encourage one another, comfort one another with these words. We shouldn't be stressed out. We shouldn't be worried. We shouldn't be consumed with fear. We should be full of hope. We should be anxious for this, looking forward to this, because this is a good thing. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at maybe the three R's that bring us hope for the end times. And the first one we see is starting right off here in verse 14, and this is the return. The return, because Christ is coming again. And so 1 Thessalonians 4.14, it says, 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. All right, if you're a Christian, you must believe that. That's the, the foundation of Christianity. To believe that Jesus died and rose again. If you don't believe that Jesus died and rose again, how will you ever believe that you're going to rise again? This is like the core foundation of our faith. So if this happens, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep. God will bring with him. God's bringing him back. Jesus is coming back. And yet this shouldn't have surprised us when the Apostle Paul says this. It shouldn't surprise you if I say this. Because Jesus himself said this in John chapter 14, verse 3. John 14, 3, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you'll be also. He's like, hey, if I go, and this is before he went, if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm coming back. I'm coming back for you. Well, we know that he went. He know that he, we know that he left. So we should know that he's coming back. And the Apostle Paul there in 1 Thessalonians 4.14 is telling us that he is coming back. He is coming back. See, there was a, a greeting that the early church had. A greeting the early church had where they would walk up to one another, they would see one another, they would grab each other by the hands and arms. And they would say, Maranatha, which means our Lord comes. Maranatha. They would say this to greet one another, to comfort one another with those words. Our Lord comes. He's coming back. I mean, it's like the only time we do something like that is, I don't know, like Easter Sunday. We walk up to somebody and we're like, he is risen. And then we'll reply, indeed. <laughs> it's like... That, that's, that's the way we do things. No, these guys, they were so excited about his return. Like I said, they, they thought it was going to be imminent. Any, any time now. It might be on Tuesday. It could be later today. They didn't know when it was, but they knew he was coming back because he said he was coming back. He said, if I go, I'm coming back. And they were looking forward to it. Looking forward to that. Look what it also says. It says that in verse 14... If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Those who sleep in Jesus. Oh, it wasn't just going to be Jesus coming back. Those who sleep are coming back. Now, I'm not talking about when I've got one of those messages that it just feels like there's so much word in there and, and all of a sudden your eyes start to get heavy and your head starts to fall over and... I start hearing your snoring instead of your amens. We're not talking about sleeping as in like sleeping in church. We're talking about dead. This is talking about dead. This was a poetic way of saying this. And you don't even have to take my words for it that when we say those who sleep, we're talking about dead. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 11 when we're talking about Lazarus. It says, these things he said... And after he said them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest in sleep. Now, Jesus was talking about, he's like, hey, Lazarus is dead. 
I need to go heal him. But he was trying to be polite. He was trying to be poetic. And he's like, those who sleep. No, it was those who are dead. And that's what we're talking about here in 1 Thessalonians, verse 14 of chapter 4. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Those who have died in Jesus. Those who have died in Christ are going to be coming back with him. Man, if, if that's not encouragement for if Jesus alone coming back wasn't encouragement for him, and yet he's talking to people right here. It starts off in verse 13 saying, Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We have a hope. We have a hope that our Savior is coming back for us. And he's bringing all of the loved ones who have died in Christ with him. Like, there's a welcoming committee coming to get us. I mean, that, that's amazing. I think about this, like when, when people take a trip, and you'll see this especially with military personnel, they've gone, they've served a tour, they start flying home, they come back, and there's always like this welcoming committee at the airport, okay? Maybe not in the last like 18 months have there been a welcoming committee, but, you know, prior to masks and social distancing, welcoming committees, big banners, family, friends, loved ones, welcome home. Jesus is coming back to us. And he's like, welcome home. It's not like we have to go to him. He's coming back to get us. And he's bringing the welcoming committee with him. And then I love what it says here in verse 16. Talk about a welcoming committee. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With a shout. This isn't just a whisper. It's not just a statement. No, he's coming back shouting. He's hollering. He's yelling. He's celebrating. It says, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. See, yes, God speaks and God whispers. But when Christ returns, he's shouting. The trumpets are blaring. And why? Because this is the greatest victory that is about to take place. If that doesn't stir you up and give you hope, I don't know what will. I mean, this is good news. This isn't for us to be hoarding and be full of fear that something's going to come to get us. No, someone is coming to get us. And where we're going, it's glorious. This is amazing. But I love what it says here when it talks about the dead in Christ. It says the dead in Christ will rise first. So if you didn't agree with what verse 14 where it says those who have fallen asleep, well now in verse 16 it's telling you it's the dead in Christ. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. You see, there's actually this, this common saying about you can be born once and die twice. Or you can be born twice and die once. Because even though that they're dead in Christ, they're not dead. They're still living. That's why they use the poetic term, well, they're asleep. But of course, people couldn't get that through their skull. So then Jesus and Paul, they're like, all right, just so you know, we're talking about the dead. This is the only death that they really get. It's one death. It's not two deaths. It's just a physical death, but it's not the spiritual death. Okay, Josh, what do you mean? Born 
once, die twice. Yes, born once, die twice. Everybody here has been born once. If you're not familiar with what born once was, your mom went to the doctor. She started screaming. Doctor grabs you, pulls you out, swats you on the butt. You start screaming. That was being born once. And then life happens and this physical body that once was swatted on the butt and started screaming stops breathing and that is the first death. But if we haven't been born a second time, there comes a second death. And we'll, we'll kind of cover that a little bit more next week. But that's where that second death, we're eternally separated from God we are then judged in such a way that we have to face eternal torment in a lovely place called hell. Or the option is then to be born twice, so we only die once. Born twice. First time, you know, ah, born once. Second time of being born, Jesus talks about it with Nicodemus. He's like, hey, you can be born, what's that term? Born again. Born again. Nicodemus is like, what do you mean? I got to crawl back up into my mom's womb? He's like, no, no. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's saying your flesh is only born once, but your spirit can be born again. And when you're born again, now you enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus. And that one prevents you from ever getting that second death. So are we going to be born once and die twice or born twice and die once? Really, the option's left up to us. See, there's also not just two births and two deaths. There's also two resurrections. There's two resurrections. There's a resurrection, and I'm not even talking about Jesus' resurrection. I'm talking about the resurrection of the believers and then the resurrection of the unbelievers. See, right here in verse 16, we see the resurrection of the believers. The dead in Christ will rise first. First rising, first resurrection. Are, are we tracking with this? I'm not trying to do big theological terms. I mean, it's rise first. However, if we jump over to Revelation Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. It said, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. So, for those who take part in the first resurrection, the second death will not get them. The flip side of this is those who take part in the Second resurrection, the second death does have power over them. And the second death, death, or the second resurrection is where the unbelievers are brought back to the judgment. And they are then judged, just like the first, judged according to their works. They have to answer for them. Those of us who have died in Christ, those of us who get to take part in the first resurrection, those of us... Man, when we have to answer for our works, there, there's like one work that tramples everything. You ready? I've been born again. Because then our name is found in the Lamb's book of life and we are spared the second death. But those who have not died in Christ, those who then take part in that second resurrection, they go before the throne 
And they're like, uh, well, I, I mean, I attended church when I was a little boy. And I fed a couple homeless people when, I guess, McDonald's asked if I wanted to round up my change. I've, I've tried to be good. I, I didn't cuss a lot. And there towards the end, you know, I helped out my kids and I took care of the grandkids. So I'd say I was a good person. But the only thing that's going to save us from that second death is not any of those good works. It's whether or not we actually have found a new life in Christ Jesus. Have we accepted his sacrifice? And so those, second death does have the power. Me, I'd rather be born twice so I can only die once. I don't want that second death. And so when I think about how Jesus is coming back, how there's the return and the return is not just Jesus, but it's the, those who have died in Christ are coming with him. Come on, that return should give you hope. That return should give you hope. Now, if that doesn't give you hope, there's a second R, and this R we call the rapture. And of course, people hate that word rapture. I don't know how many times I've used the term rapture, and they're like, you can't find the word rapture anywhere in your Bible. And I'm like, yeah, well, if I got a Latin Bible, I could find raptura in it. I'm like, well, we don't read the Latin Bible. You know why we don't read the Latin Bible? Because it's not King James, and that's the Bible that Jesus used. <laughs> Sometimes I just get snarky with people. I don't know why. But seriously, the, the, the word rapture, the word rapture that we use in the Latin translation, it's the Greek word raptura. That's where we get the English word rapture, from the Latin raptura. And it's actually right here, that word, raptura, is right here in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. It says, Then those, we who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with the Lord forever. It says that we will be caught up. That term, caught up, while in the Greek, it's the word harpazo, in the Latin, it's the word raptura. So in other words, we who are alive and remain shall be raptured up together with them in the clouds. And all that means, that word, it just means caught, snatched, seized, taken, just yoink. I mean, if, I, if I'm walking with my kids somewhere and they want to jump out into the street, man, I rapture them back really fast. I'm snatching them by the collar. They ain't going any farther. Half the time, they don't know what hit them. I mean, I think of like the illustration, you know, people that have been on a stage too long and all of a sudden they got that little shepherd's hook and they grab them by the neck and yank them off stage. Man, Jesus coming down with his shepherd's hook and he's yanking us off the earth stage. He's taking us up with them. He's rapturing us. He's seizing us. He's snatching us. He's catching us up. He's taking us away. See, when we start to read this and we think, okay, well, there's the return. And the return is Jesus coming back and the dead in Christ coming with him. That's amazing. But what, what if I'm, I haven't died my first death yet? What if I'm still here? They're getting ready to have this big party. What about me? Well, that's where the rapture comes in. 
That's where the rapture comes in. Now, of course, with the rapture, see, we're talking about like the tribulation. When you talk about the end of the world, you talk about Armageddon, you talk about how it's all going to end. Really, biblically, we're talking about the great tribulation. And so I'm going to tell you there are really kind of four thoughts on when the rapture could happen, or if you don't like the word rapture, when the catching away could happen as it relates to the tribulation. I'm going to tell you what they are. I'm also going to tell you what I believe. There is pre-trib, which is basically before the tribulation happens. There's those that believe the the catching away will be mid-trib, so it's in the middle of the seven years of the great tribulation that they'll be caught away. There are post-trib, which means they think we have to go through the great tribulation, and then they're going to rapture us away. And then there's pan-trib. And pan-trib, they really don't have a clue. They just think it'll all pan out in the end. (laughs) Me, on the other hand, I go with pre-trib. I go with pre-trib. I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the Apostle Paul and what he's saying. He's like, comfort one another because you're going to have to go through seven years of hell on earth. And then Jesus is coming to get you. That doesn't sound comforting at all. How about those who are fools and left their lives without Jesus in it and refused to accept him, they're going to go through hell on earth. But you who put your faith in Christ, you get to escape it. Mm-hmm. Sounds like comfort to me. <laughs> like That right there is why I take the stance of a pre-trib rapture. That being said, there are very devout, well-meaning, and studious Christians that take all of those different aspects. And for me, I don't really care. If it's comforting for you to think that we're going to go through half of the tribulation, but not the other half, whatever, I don't care. If you think that we're going to go through all of it, whatever, I don't care. Don't care. My, My big concern is, do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? And then he's coming back for you. If you do, that's all I really care about. But if you want to know where I stand, pre-trib. That's where I come in on this. Now, what is this going to look like? Well, Jesus talks about us this in uh, Matthew chapter 24. I want to read this, verse 36 through 44. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Okay, so next time you hear a prediction that the world is going to end December 25th, Or December 21st. Actually, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody before too long, they're like, you know what? The next one, it's going to be December 22nd, 21. Because then numerically it's 1, 2, 2, 2, 2, 1. And that just makes sense to somebody. (laughs) No one knows the hour. Not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. This is Jesus saying, guess what? I don't even know when I'm coming back. He's just going to bring me back. He's going to send me. He's like, guess what? It's time. Go. All right. Verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days of the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, 
that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. He's coming when you least expect it. When you have let your guard down, he's coming. So be ready. Be ready. I mean, I I don't want to get left behind. I don't want to be caught snoozing. It's going to be like two people setting at work. Can you imagine it? Two people in a production line working, they're packing stuff, and all of a sudden, it's like something's backing up. Where did he go? Two ladies sitting there doing their work. And all of a sudden, one's gone. It could be like us sitting here in church and all of a sudden, one of you stays and the other goes. Because one of you were snoozing. One of you weren't ready. Not looking for it. Imagine a family sitting down at evening dinner, sitting at the dinner table. Sitting at the dinner table. Mom and the kids get caught up, but dad's sitting there. He got left behind because he wasn't ready. He wasn't prepared. When you least expect it. You ever heard that term that you need to expect the unexpected? Well, come on. With Jesus' return, with the second coming, you best expect the unexpected. Because if you don't, you're going to get left behind. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get left behind. I want to be looking. I want to be ready. I want to be expecting his return. I refuse to get left behind. And and it's not just because I don't want to get left behind. It's because I know what happens if I'm actually eagerly awaiting his return. There's like a bonus prize for us. Do you realize there's a bonus prize Paul tells in 2 Timothy, there's a bonus coming. 2 Timothy 4.8, he says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His reappearing. Other translations say those who have longed for His return. Those who have been eagerly awaiting His return. I want the crown of righteousness. Maybe it's because I just like wearing hats. I don't know, but I want it. If somebody tells me there's an option to get a bonus, I'm going for the bonus. I'm not going to get left behind. I'm going to be looking for his return. And so, yes, when people start giving these wild predictions, my ears perk up. My ears perk up. I'm like, hold on a second. What is going to happen when the clock strikes midnight, December 31st, 1999, and we roll over into a new millennium? Could Jesus return? I doubt it, but I'm ready in case he does. Because maybe it'll be one second later when people least expect it. I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. And when the Mayan calendar said it was going to be, what was it, December 12th of 2012, the 12, 12, 12, man, I was looking for, I'm, hey, maybe the Mayans have got it right. I doubt it, but maybe they got it right. I mean, there's that, that one Christian minister, I can't even remember his name, 
I've forgotten his name probably more times than he has gotten a wrong prophecy on the end times. I think he's up to like eight of them right now. Every time he gets it wrong, he's like, oh, well, I didn't take into account that a generation may not be 40 years, maybe it's 70 years. And then 10 years later, he's like, no, I was wrong. It wasn't 70 years. It's got to be 80 years. So it's going to happen any time now. But he can make all the wild predictions he wants. I, I don't care. All they're doing with those predictions is reminding me that the end is near. And that brings hope. That brings hope because I know that there's return. I know there's a rapture. And I know there's a reunion. Right there in verse 17. It says that we're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. To meet the Lord in the air. To meet Him face to face with our Lord. I, I, I'm having a hard time even preaching because I got this permagrin kicking right now. Just at the thought that I'm going to meet Him in the air. It's not even about the fact that I'm going to be in the air. Like, okay, I like thrill rides. I like heights. That's cool. But no, I'm going to meet him. I'm going to meet him. And then, it's not just meet him. I'll be with him. Always. Forever. Forever. <laughs> That's so cool. Like, I am looking forward to that reunion. Most like family reunions, I do not like. Because y'all got those crazy cousins that are just, man, they're out there. And if you're sitting there and saying, I, I don't have a crazy cousin in my family, well, that's because you are the crazy cousin. <laughs> it's like, all these family reunions. But I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, this is a family reunion I'm looking forward to. This, because we're all crazy. We're all weird. Looking forward to being hopeful for the end of the world. That's crazy. We're strange. We're weird. Embrace it. I'm going up with a bunch of weirdos and I meet the biggest one of all, Jesus, who did everything contrary to what the rest of the world said. Why are we so weird? Because we don't belong here. We don't belong here. We get to go home. It's not just a family reunion. It's a homecoming. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to this thing. But there are so many Christians who aren't looking forward to it. And, and a lot of it becomes because, well, honestly, life is good here. Life is good. Yes, we're in America. Yes, like, I don't know, a thousand yards of lumber is going to cost you like $1,500 now. Yes, gas prices are getting up to $4 a gallon. Yes, property taxes have been through the roof. Yes, I understand that. Life's still good. Life is still good here. I mean, it is, it, it's good. I got a roof over my head. I got plenty of food in my belly. I got shoes on my feet. I got a nice, comfortable bed at night. I got endless supply of coffee. Thank you, Marvin. Just keeps me filled up. Between him and Starbucks, I'm covered. <laughs> Life is good. See, I had this moment a few years back where I went over to Africa and we were doing Bible school graduations. So I'm there as, you know, just the commencement speaker. And I had this moment where I, I, I felt bad. I felt ashamed of myself. 
Because we're going to these men's prisons, and one of the men's prisons has a female prison attached to it, and I didn't know we were going over there. I wasn't mentally prepared for what I was about to see. And they just said, hey, do you want to run over? And it was the, the warden. He's like, hey, do you want to run over to the female prison and then just talk to those? Okay. So we go over there and we meet one of the ladies and she's there with like her three-year-old daughter. Wasn't prepared for that. Like these, these prison conditions, they're, they're not American prison. Like American prisoners, they got it good. This is the good life. Go over there. Some of them don't have pillows or blankets. And the blankets they had, like you ever had one of those uh, like wool blankets that are like super thin and then they get worn out and they start to get holes and it's like tattered. Usually it's something that you don't even leave for the dogs anymore. That's what their, their blankets were. And they're just sleeping on the ground. That's what they got. Food, <laughs> very minimal. Look nasty. And here's this mother and her daughter and Tobias, he's like, hey, do you want to uh, go ahead and minister to them? And I froze. Like, I, I, you guys know me. I talk. I've got the gift of gab. Open mouth. Words come out nonstop. I opened my mouth and it just hung there. I had nothing. And it was like, I'm the guest minister. I'm supposed to be ministering to these people. Let's bring a little bit of some of that word that we got here in America. Bring it to the people of Kenya. And nothing. And I just looked at him. I was like, no, I'm, I'm all right. You can. And his encouragement, the way he ministered to her, never forget it. He said, I know the situation that you're in isn't ideal. But the great thing is if you put your faith in Jesus Christ... He's here with you. But it gets even better because the day is coming very soon where you don't have to wait for your release from this prison. Jesus is going to take you from it and then you'll be with him forever. And to see the smile on her face and the tears start coming down their eyes and I'm like, how simple would it have been for me just to say, our Lord is coming back. Our Lord is coming back. And then we're reunited. But the thought wasn't crossing my mind. And it's because I'm here in America and I got the good life. I got the good life. So really, it's hard sometimes for me to think how good heaven can be when everything here is very good for me. But you get to other parts of the world and it's not good. They've got it bad. They're struggling. And so you're telling them that there's a way of escape? They're excited to see people in prison excited and dancing and full of joy. And I'm walking in and I'm thinking, this is not an ideal situation. And yet they're not just surviving it, they're thriving in that environment. Because they don't care about the physical, they care about the spiritual. And they know that he's coming back. And when I think about that, I'm like, man, things can get really good. Things can get really good when we get reunited with Jesus. I think it's good here. No, I don't even know how good it's going to get. You don't even know how good it's going to get. 
The Apostle Paul, he says this to the Corinthians. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass the saying that is written, death swallowed up in victory. Oh, death Where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's going to get good It's going to get good because there is a moment when we are reunited with Jesus, when we see him face to face, when he brings us up to him. Imagine all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the brokenness that this world has and that gets thrown on us. And in that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, it's all gone away. The corruption is gone. It's now incorruptible. Mortality is gone. It's now immortality. No more pain. It's just perfection. That moment, that moment, sin, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? It's gone in that very moment. So what do we do? What do we do? He tells us right here. Be steadfast. Be immovable and always abound in the work of the Lord. Always be living your life, doing his work. While we are here, let's do what he's called us to do. Let's make sure we're serving. Let's make sure that we're loving people. Let's make sure that we're sharing with people. Let's make sure that we are looking for his return. Be eager, but be steadfast. Be immovable. In other words, it doesn't matter what prophecy wants to come out. Oh, Josh, you need to look at this date. I'm looking at all the dates. Because I am ready whenever he's ready. I am expecting the unexpected. You say it's that date. What if it's the day before? Will you be ready? What if it's the day after? Will you be ready? Because I will be. And I want as many that I can to go with me. I want those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are lost, those who are longing for something more to realize it's right there in Jesus Christ. And all they need to do is be looking and ready for his return.